Good evening. Today is Tuesday, September 7th. We are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is more about alcoholism, and I am so pleased to welcome Jennifer C. to speak for us tonight. Jennifer, thank you so much for your service this evening. Thank you, Amy. Um, I am Jennifer C., and I am recovered in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share tonight. Um, I'm going to start by reading the first paragraph of more about alcoholism. Um, <clears throat> Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove that we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. So <clears throat> this chapter is really driving home for us what it means to have an alcoholic mind. And considering it's the first step of our recovery process that we have to concede uh, to this reality that we have this mind, um, we have to truly be able to commit to admit that when it comes to food, um, our behavior and our thinking has been completely insane. That's what I have to be willing to admit. Um, and the definition for the word insanity is less than whole, um, which means I can't see the truth. That's literally what it means. I cannot see the truth. So I am making decisions based on lies is essentially what this book is telling me that I have a diseased mind that will tell me lies and I will believe them every time. Um, so, <clears throat> so a significant part of step one for me is conceding to this fact that, um, that I repeatedly over and over and over again, make decisions around food and weight um, based on lies just pure lies. And I make the same decisions based on the same lies over and over again. My disease doesn't even have to get creative. It can tell me the same lie that it told me the last time and I ate over it the last time. And I realized after I picked up that it was the worst thing I could have done. And then my disease will tell me the same lie this time and I will believe it again. That's the mind of an alcoholic. And that's what I'm conceding to. Um, I remember, I remember having a moment, I was, it was getting harder and harder and harder to stay abstinent. It was getting harder and harder to string days together. And I was white knuckling it. And I was trying so hard to keep the food down. And I finally, and, 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 and the restlessness and the irritability and the discontentment was just getting more and more extreme every time I tried to put the food down. And I finally just 
I, I just said, forget it. I'm, I'm going out and I'm getting my, my, my fix. And after I did that, I was driving in my car and I just remember having this moment where I really, where I could really see and feel that being in the middle of a binge, um, going against everything I believe about taking care of my body, how to handle my money, telling people the truth, right? My kids are like, mom, where are you going? I'll be back. I'm just getting laundry detergent. Like going against everything I believed in and being in the middle of that binge and not being able to stop. I was like, Jennifer Marie, this is truly the most amount of pain that you could possibly be in. Like where you were an hour ago when you thought you couldn't take it anymore because of how restless you felt, that was nothing compared to the pain that you feel when you're in the middle of the binge and you cannot get out of the food. But see, that's the truth. And my disease will never tell me the truth until after I pick up. That's when I can see the truth. After I've already believed the lie. Um, so, <clears throat> so this is going to make me feel better. That's a lie, right? Um, because the other part is this is going to make me feel better until it makes me feel tremendously worse than I feel right now. Um, this is just a yellow light food, right? This is just a yellow light food. This is like not like a binge food. This is a yellow light food. Um, or just that it doesn't matter that much, right? These small compromises around food, my disease will tell me it just doesn't matter that much. I'm making too big of a deal about this. The truth is it all matters. All of it matters. Every compromise, it all matters. The truth is that I called it a yellow light food, but really it either works or it doesn't. So it's either red or green and it doesn't work. And that's why I put it on that list, right? That's the truth. But my disease will get in the back door through my quote unquote yellow light foods. And then before you know it, whether it takes a day, a week, however long it'll take, it'll get me back into the disease. Um, <clears throat> so what does it mean to be a real alcoholic? And why is this so critical that I believe this? Um, and I want to point out that there's three words that Bill uses just in the first paragraph that essentially mean the same thing. Um, because he's really trying to drive home how much we cannot trust our own thinking where food is concerned, okay? So the word obsession is the idea, like an idea that is so strong that it can literally make you believe something that's not true. That's the definition of obsession. Um, so when I get fixated on food, <laughs> I start to believe things that are simply not true. Um, it's all based on lies. An illusion is literally something that makes you believe something that is not true. It makes you literally see something that's not there um, and essentially believe a lie. The word delusion, um, if you delude yourself, it means that you come to believe something that's simply not based on reality, right? So once again, not true. So <clears throat> the delusion that we are like other people has to be smashed, smashed. I'm not like other people. I don't get to look around and look at what other people are doing because that's a delusion. It has to be smashed. It's a lie. 
other people can overeat and feel sick and gain weight and not like it, but it doesn't destroy their lives the way that food destroyed mine, right? So that's a delusion. And then, of course, the word insanity um, is believing something that's not true. So my real problem, my real problem is that I'm guaranteed without fail at some point to believe a lie that is my ultimate destruction, right? Mind, body, spirit. At some point, if I truly have the mind of an alcoholic, I am going to believe a lie that is going to get me to eat compulsively. It's going to get me to compromise and it's going to ultimately get me to eat compulsively. That's what it means to have an alcoholic mind. So <clears throat> the truth is once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. That's the truth. Um, the man of 30 on page 32. Um, what did, what lie did he believe, right? So after 25 years, he had more control. That's what he believed. That was the lie. Um, and I can't tell you how many streaks of abstinence I broke because I literally thought that I had more control after 25 days. Forget 25 years. How about 25 days? Um, after five days, you know, the desperation and the commitment that I felt on days one and two and three and four. And then eventually, you know, by like day 10 and 11, all of a sudden I'm thinking, what's the difference between eggs and chicken? Like, why does that matter? Why do I have to tell someone that I changed it out? Um, that's so ridiculous, right? Calling people every single day. Like I get it. Most days I should call people, but like really every single day I need to talk to people. Um, you know, or I know I said I wouldn't, I know I said I wouldn't eat until one and I know that it's only 11, but I'm hungry and it doesn't matter because these are my, my abstinent foods, right? Doesn't matter. So there I go thinking that I have control, right? Um, <clears throat> and the truth is the truth, right? So that's the lie. The truth is it all matters. It all matters because it's either me listening to the voice that is out to ultimately destroy me, which is my disease, or it's me listening to the voice that is here to save me, right? And that's my higher power, the voice that saves me. And my higher power speaks through all of you, through good orderly direction, it's all meant to save my life. It's all meant to save my life. I think about um, a dog with a cone around its neck and how the dog does not want that cone around its neck. And I remember having a moment when I was in my kitchen and I had been fighting against abstinence. I just was fighting it. Like I just didn't want to surrender and concede that I needed to do what everybody else needed to do. And I stood in my kitchen and I had this picture of a dog fighting against you putting that cone around its neck. And we know that the cone is gonna ultimately keep that dog from, <laughs> from hurting itself, from, from possibly uh, destroying itself in some way, right? It's a big deal. 
That dog needs that cone as protection. And it was as if my higher power said, baby, let me put the cone around your neck. Follow the food plan. Put your hands up and let me put the cone around your neck because it will save you from destroying yourself. And that's what this process is. It's letting God save me from myself, from my disease, from my self-will. And if it's not surrender, then it's self-will. And whether it's a compromise around a meal time or an untexted meal change or whatever commitments that I've made to my own recovery, if it's any compromise with those things, then it's self-will. And honestly, I need to have not just a healthy respect for the way this food, this addiction has destroyed my life and will steal from me. But I also need to have a very healthy fear and respect around self-will because that will destroy me too. And um, <clears throat> so the smashing of the self-will is worth these commitments, even though I, my disease will lie and say they don't matter. They matter because it's smashing self-will. That's why they matter. Um, <clears throat> so to me, that's recovery. To me, recovery today is learning to live in the truth. It's learning to live in the truth, little by little. Um, and in a nutshell, my disease is I believe a lie. I make a decision based on a lie. And then I take an action based on the decision that was based on a lie. Okay. Whether it's with the food or whether it's with character defects, it's, it's me making decisions in my life based on delusions, illusions, and ultimately insanity, not being able to see the truth. Um, so some lies that my disease tells me today, if it can't devour me through food, um, prayer and meditation doesn't really matter. Um, you'll get to it later. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the truth is that prayer and meditation is my lifeline. It is my breath. That's the truth. My disease will tell me it doesn't matter that much, right? It matters. It just doesn't matter that much. Making an amends right away is not that important, right? It can wait. It can wait. I'll get to it later. Meanwhile, the truth is that everything in my life today is like, is like a buildup. I'm either building a wall between me and my higher power, or I'm building bricks for my recovery and I'm making it stronger, right? Everything matters because I'm building. I'm, I'm always putting a brick somewhere. It all matters. Um, so, and I, and the truth is I'm, I don't feel the, dis, the disconnection right away. And that's why my disease can lie to me because while these things are so important, I can get away with, with not seeing them as important, but I can only get away with it for so long. Right. Five minutes. Um, <clears throat> so, um, So for the, for the man of 30, um, the lie was that 25 years made him safe. 
truth was on page 33, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Um, the story of the jaywalker, page 37. Our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast moving vehicles. She gets a thrill out of <clears throat> out of doing the very thing that ultimately destroys her, turning to food for comfort and for ease. There's a thrill, but it's going to kill me. That's what it means to have an alcoholic mind. So I want to say that one of the lies that my disease kept telling me for the longest time I had a solid year of relapse and I kept stringing days together and then calling my breaks relapses. And then I remember it occurred to me that every time I would hear that, you know, I couldn't stop. Like once, once I start, I can't stop. I would, I would rebuttal that. And I would think, but I do stop. I do stop. I stop the next day. Right. And I get back on track. So maybe you can't stop, but I actually stop. Like I get back on track. Um, and what I didn't see at that time was that I never actually was getting back on track. There was no getting back on track. Um, the on again, off again was just part of the, the disease cycle. It was never getting back on track because for every time I had a few days, I was really just revving up another binge. That was all part of the cycle. I was never getting back on track, but do you know that my disease told me that lie over and over again. And I picked up over and over and over again because I thought that I could get back on track and I thought I was getting back on track and I never was getting back on track. It was a whole year of being in the food essentially. So the getting back on track is a big fat lie. It all matters in this moment today. Um, I do want to end with the alcoholic at certain times, page 43, has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. Um, and I also, I also, I also want to point out on page Page 30, we are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. And I love the idea that this program is my new legs, right? I'm learning how to walk again. I'll never not be a compulsive overeater. I'll never be sane when it comes to food. I will always be vulnerable to believing these lies. But today I have a defense and that defense is my higher power. And this program is my new legs. And I am learning how to walk again. I am learning how to feel again. I'm learning how to think in a way that gives me life and doesn't destroy me. Um, I'm taking baby steps. I'm asking women to teach me how to live this life. I'm finding women who have what I want. I'm asking them what they do. I'm praying for the willingness to do it. I'm learning how to walk with these new legs. And with these new legs, I get to have a new life. 
And I just want to encourage anyone who's struggling with the food, um, let God put the cone around your neck again. Let him put it around your neck. And it, whether it's white knuckling it to get to the other side, we just take it one day at a time. We follow good orderly direction. And if we have to stay on the phone all day long so that we don't eat compulsively, then that's what we do because it's worth it. It is 100% worth it. Um, so thank you so much for letting me share. And with that, I pass. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you so much for your service tonight and that beautiful share on more about alcoholism. Um, script. Okay, here we go, folks. This is your time to join in. We will now open the meeting for questions for Jennifer or for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing some questions should relate to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept the guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you would like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and the Zoom host, the lovely Kira, We'll call the raised hands in order. And will our fantastic timekeeper, Melissa, please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up. And I'll now pass it over to Kira, go ahead. Hi everyone, I'm Kira. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Amy. First up, we have Melissa G. Unmute. Sorry, get it off of myself. Um, okay. Wow. Thank you so much, Jennifer. This was like I needed this meeting and your talk. Uh, you don't even understand. I just walked in my house from my daughter's 18th birthday dinner. She's inside right now. Her friend came over, and it was amazing. I felt very lucky. It was my wife, her, my ex, his wife, and their kid. We went out to dinner. I don't go out to eat. Um, I started the, you know, this abstinence last June over a year ago and was during COVID. So I was not used to going out to eat. So very rarely do I. She wanted to go to her favorite restaurant. We went, I looked ahead. I planned it, talked to my, my sponsor, but everything you said, I mean, like I'm, I was, I couldn't type so fast with my thumbs, you know, delusion that we're like other people has to be smashed that, you know, I have a diseased mind that tells me, you know, I, I'm like other people and that yellow light foods and small compromises. So here I have like my ex who I always think is a normal eater. You know, he got, he ate half his veggie burger and just got broccoli. And I was like, oh my God, he's so, look at him, he's so good. I wish I could be like that. And I'm like, wait, why are you wishing to be like him? I think he's anorexic maybe, I don't know. And then I'm wishing to be his wife who had, you know, a big thing and fries. And I'm like, can't you just stay with your meal? Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Enjoy your moment, enjoy your daughter's 18th birthday. You know, she got what she wanted. I made her this beautiful watermelon cake and this, got these cookies and stuff for her. And then when she came home, she was too full. And I'm like, you know what? I did it for me to make myself feel like I wanted to give her what she needed. When you said the cone with the dog, 
oh my God, my dog has a cone on her head. And that was such a good example. It was so perfect because she keeps crying to scratch where she had surgery and it's bleeding and she doesn't want it. But the cone saved us from freaking having blood all over our furniture. So that was like the most perfect thing you could have said. Oh my God, I wrote that down. It was like amazing because yes, I need higher power to put the cone on me. I don't want it. I don't want to judge everyone else and, and try to think that I can eat this because I'm out and it's fine. And I forgot to bring my scale and I kind of panicked. I'm like, I'm eating half of whatever was given to me and I'm going to be okay. But then my head went, huh, everyone else is taking a bite of dessert. I'm, I don't eat dessert. What the hell is that about? You know? And so anyway, the lies my disease tells me is like the epitome of of my disease and I and I believe it and so I have to continually do step one and remind myself oh my time I've never done all three minutes jump to reminder um <laughs> that that I need the cone I need the cone okay I pass thank you Melissa next we have Stephanie S Hi guys, Stephanie S, um, compulsive overeater and bulimic in Florida. Um, Jennifer, your share tonight, like it hit me, hit me like right in the heart. And I was hanging on every word. Um, when you talked about the disease lying and being a liar inside of your mind, I mean, that's 100% true. You know, one of the examples you gave was this is going to make me feel better. You know, every day. I mean, every day that was a lie that I told myself, um, or that the disease told me, um, other lies, you know, this is the last one. I'm only going to have one tomorrow's going to be better. Um, anything that makes me thin is okay. That was a big lie, vomiting diet pills, shots of whatever crazy diet plans. Um, anything that makes me thin is okay. And that's, was a huge, that's a huge lie. And what I've realized is, and, and what I, I realized over time was that I, I was like, I can't trust myself. I can't trust myself around food. And what I'm realizing is that that is true. I can't trust myself around food. So I have to trust a higher power. I mean, I've, I've battled this for so many years and I 100% have to concede that I can't, I can't trust myself because the lies are just pervasive. Um, so I appreciate your share and I appreciate being able to share myself. Thanks. Thank you, Stephanie. And next we have Melissa P. Hi, Melissa P. Mm, I almost said recovered, but I picked up today. Um, literally hiding in my bathroom because I can't find my ear pods. Jennifer, they're so like, right? Nothing happens by accident. And I was talking to someone very involved in this meeting today, like immediately after I picked up and <clears throat> messaged them how, like, I don't know if it's whatever, but I have like some very strong neutrality happening right now. And uh, they said, well, you know, take it, take a hold of it, you know, like, take some action here. And I was like, yeah, what is my action? And I overcomplicate things. And my action was like, holy shit, like just get on the meeting. Um, and I, I call this like school with God because your share was literally exactly what I needed to hear tonight. Um, 
as a reminder that like the stories in my head are dangerous, very dangerous. And I loved how you articulated like the lie that causes, I'm paraphrasing, it's going to be bad. Um, you know, the lie that causes like the thought and then the thought causes this dishonest action and we get like roped around, um, you know, in the part about the neck, because like I do, I feel like it has me by my neck again. Um, and that's not how I want to live after being free. So I'm going to roll with this levity that I have right now and get right back on the wagon because I know that if I take a vacation in food land, I may never come back. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to actually do something that I never did before is I'm going to re-listen to this tomorrow and like take notes and really take it all in. So just thank you for keeping it real. And <laughs> I am in the front row in God's school right now. So thank you so much with that. Thank you, Melissa. Next, we have Francesca P. Thanks, Kira. Hi, everyone. Francesca, compulsive overeater, bulimic. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for that share. Um, I know it's been said by other people, but I, I really needed to hear everything you said tonight, too. So I really appreciate it, um, especially hammering home the definition of all of these words that he uses um, in this part of the book about it just all meaning that we cannot see the truth. Um, and especially when I was in the food, that was, that was the truth, um, is that I couldn't see the truth. And I would say even, you know, with my character defects, um, the decisions I make based on my character defects, whether it's resentment or, you know, being controlling, it's because my disease is telling me a lie in my head and I'm seeing it as the truth. Um, and that it never ends well for me or for people I care about. So um, I'm really grateful to have heard that tonight. And I do have a question as well. So this is kind of like a two part share um, because you did say, you mentioned prayer and meditation as like your lifeline. Um, and that that is, you know, like, oh, disease lie that you can be told is that it's not that important. So I would say when that happens, um, where you're like, oh, it's not that important. Like I can skip it. Like what does your daily prayer meditation life look like? If that is a question you can answer. Thanks. Yes, um, absolutely. And um, the third step prayer is, um, is really important to me. And I have to offer myself to God every single day. And so my prayer time always begins with offering myself to God and remembering that I am here um, for God now, right? Um, and so that's the first part of it. And also being, being, being um, quiet and letting um, myself be is really, really, really important, even if it's just for a couple of minutes. But to let myself be in that presence, in that power presence, um, and just every single day when I wake up, I am naturally in self-reliance, right? 
That is my natural default, self-reliance. I have to align myself with God-reliance. And so the prayer and meditation can be as simple as meditating on those words in the third step prayer. I truly believe that it is quality over quantity, but I also believe that we have to be willing to devote enough time so that it fills and feeds my soul. Because why do I go to food? And why do I go to all this other crap besides food? Because I have a hole in my soul. And I need to give my higher power time to fill me up. And sometimes that takes longer than other days. Um, So the lie that it doesn't matter, I'll tell you this, the more I do it, the less that lie has any power because I know it matters because now I crave it. And if I don't have it, it's like, it's like, I'm just, I'm just hungry for it. So I think taking the action first is the best way, regardless of how you feel, you commit, you say, this is what I'm doing. Just like I commit to my food plan. I commit to a prayer and meditation plan. And I have a couple of things I read and I make sure that I give God that time to fill me because that's really what I'm after. Thanks very much. I'm going to ask the Zoom host to stop the recording now.